Good morning, church. Ooh, it works. Yes, that's right. I had to hold a mic, and I felt like I was like this on first service. So, because I tell people, it's always, it's a little nerve-wracking when you come to preach at your home church. I was telling my brother, I said, now, when you go to a church out in the middle of somewhere, nowhere, wherever, and you're preaching, and it goes well, that's great. But if it doesn't go well, I said, see you later. Won't see you again. But anyway, but here, if I don't go well, if it doesn't do well today, man, you know, that's, that's on me, not the Lord. And so, uh, and then I have to see you the following Sunday, possibly. So anyway, but it's a joy to be with you guys. It really is. I, I'm always honored when Pastor Brooks asked me to come and step up and, and step into the pulpit and, and bring God word and encourage you guys. And, and I'm grateful for this church. You're so supportive of the ministries uh, that we do at Georgia Baptist as I serve in the area of pastoral wellness. And currently now Daphne's the volunteer campus missionary uh, in the Savannah area for the BCMs. And so I still give oversight to some of those things uh, here in Brunswick. And this church just prepared well over a hundred gift baskets. Okay, you ladies, thank you so much, the mission group here, uh, to give out to our university students uh, during exam week. And so uh, anyway, so it's really tempting to go back to the kitchen and not take a little Rice Krispie treat out of the bag, but I've been good, I've been good. And so, uh, but it's so great to be able to present them a gift and say, hey, we love you, we care for you, we're praying for you. So thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's interesting as I was talking to uh, Brother Brooks and Adam and them about what, you know, where we need to go for Sunday. He's like, hey, just wherever the Lord leads you. And, and this message this morning out of 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, this really came out of my time with a congregation on Sunday, last Sunday. Last Sunday, I had the privilege of, of being with a congregation. Uh, it was uh, Baptist Church at Ebenezer. Uh, Matt Hines is the pastor there, and you may remember that that church had a fire. In fact, they lost their sanctuary. And so, uh, uh, the Lord is providing, certainly, but continue to pray for them. And if God leads you, give to them uh, any gifts of encouragement and certainly prayer and potentially resources. But, but as I was up there, I was so encouraged by the expression of faith around me. And they gathered in this temporary sanctuary that they were in. And then the message that Pastor Matt came and brought about keeping the main thing the main thing. The main thing being the gospel. And the other main thing being the, 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 the fellowship, the, the, the community, uh, the koinonia that we express in love for one another as the body of Christ. And, and that kind of was rolling around in my mind and heart when Pastor Brooks called and I thought, I want to kind of go to this passage. I think I'm going to kind of move off of Thanksgiving and move on to the, to the times of gathering that you and I have over these seasons we're in. We just came out of Thanksgiving. We're going to be going into Christmas and the New Year's. But there are gatherings all around our lives all the time. And it could be family. It could be friends. It could be colleagues. It could even be strangers. I love the story. I saw the update just recently. If you remember, uh, the lady was Miss Wanda. Miss Wanda thought she was texting her grandchild uh, to invite for Thanksgiving dinner in 2016. And she sent a text that, hey, Thanksgiving dinner is going to be on the 24th at 3.30 in the afternoon. Look forward to seeing you there. Well, the young man who got the text was not her grandson because he didn't think that his grandmama even had a phone, knew how to text, said, I don't think... Uh, you're my grandmother. Can you send me a, a picture or let me know that you're really my grandmother? And so she sent him a picture at work, and when he, she took the picture at work and sent it to him, he realized it's not his grandmother because there was, a di- there was a difference between the two. He took a picture of himself and sent it to her, and she realized, that's not my grandchild. Oh, wow, okay. So where do we go from here? He didn't say, but however, could I still come by at 3.30 and get a plate of turkey? <laughs> Complete stranger very different from her family. And he came by that day, and they shared a meal and a plate of turkey together, and he's been doing it every Thanksgiving. They just got together this Thanksgiving, and they've already planned for the next Thanksgiving. You see, gatherings are a part of who we are in life. 
And, and there's some wonderful times of gathering that, that come around, centered around situations in life, especially in this season. So out of the text this morning, I want to talk to you about gathering with a purpose. And two primary purposes in these gatherings would be to pray and encourage and to share the gospel. So let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore, first of all, I exhort you that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Verse 3 tells us, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desire all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your love and grace. And We've already prayed. We've already worshipped. And Lord, again, now we're bringing our hearts again to say, Speak a fresh word to me and to us through your word by your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this body of believers, this church that you've gathered. And, and thank you, Lord, for the leadership of the pastor and his staff and all who lean in to the work of the gospel on this island and all around the world. So I pray, Father, a blessing on them. And Lord, speak to us a fresh word as we get into these gatherings, not only in this season, but throughout all of life. Lord, that we would pray and encourage and share the gospel. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I share with you this message, it's really great. I look at this passage. We're going to first talk about the element of prayer. I love the quote by Oswald Chambers. He said that prayer does not fit us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. I shared in the earlier service about my grandfather and how as kids, and you may have heard this illustration before, as kids we would look through the keyhole of this old mill house back in the day and we'd hear my grandfather having conversations and walking around and looking up into heaven and giving gestures up to God and having discussions. And it was interesting. Some of the discussions were about his, him and Grandma Mert and the grandkids and what was going on there. And every now and then we'd hear our names called and we'd listen more intently of what was about to be said about us. And the whole time we're thinking, who's Grandpa talking to in the back of the room? Grandma's in the kitchen and everybody else is outside and we were puzzled a little bit as, as young kids wondering who he was talking to until grandma would tell us he was talking to God. So we would always want to be seeing a picture of God. We tried to get a glimpse of God because we thought God was in there with grandpa. It really sounded like it and in one sense he really was. But also it was funny because every now and then grandpa would be lifting up his voice and complaining about his tiller that wouldn't peel right. And so it, he was a man of all things just like you and I. But he had a deep devotion to prayer, and that, I think that was kind of kind of birthing me as a young child. And then when I became a Christian at the age of 20, that really began to be an element of, of my life. That prayer was not something we tacked on to everything. Prayer is the greater work. Because prayer sets us. Prayer stabilizes us. Prayer fits us for what God wants to do in us. That's why when, when Paul was writing Timothy here, and he's, he's exhorting him, do these things, pray, first of all. He, he gives four terms here we'll look at real quickly. The first term is the prayer supplication. That word supplication means that we pray for people and their personal needs, their physical needs, their emotional needs, their mental needs, just the things that they need in day-to-day -day life. Praying for people. And now we used to say this, Brother Adam, sometimes. Sometimes we get so focused on praying for nickels and noses, we forget to pray about the more important thing, the heart. Sometimes we can get so fixed on somebody's personal needs, we forget that spiritual needs are there too. And really, to be honest, spiritual needs are what are eternal. Those are the things that are very valuable and needful of us to have those elements of our life. But supplication is something we need to be doing. Right now, Daphne and I, to be honest, we're, we're praying for her mother who's with us, came back after Thanksgiving, and she's spending some time with us. And we're praying for God to bring some healing in her life, some, some stability in her health. 
She's struggling through something. I appreciate the, the, the covenant, your, covenant your prayers in that area, but, but, but we know that God has his hand on her and is working with her, but, but we pray every day for those needs in her life. We, we ask God to supply those needs. The other word he uses here is the word prayer. Now, the term prayer really has to do more not with the material things of life, but the relational things in life. God is the God of relationships. Now, he cares about the material things, but he's primarily a God of relationships. That's why he brought his son into the world. That's why he wants to have a relationship with us through his son. That's why all we have in the scriptures is about a relationship. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And so, so here he talks about prayers, and that's just where we lean into and, and we pray for people in relationships, all kinds. Now, if you're like me, when we go home for family gatherings, sometimes it's good gatherings, sometimes not so good gatherings because there's diversity of opinions and perspectives. I grew up in the upstate of South Carolina. Go Tigers, except we didn't go this weekend. I know, I know. So that's been tough. So my brother-in-law has already got something ready for me this afternoon. I, I wouldn't read it this morning when it came through. Adam. It's not going to ruin my day, not going to ruin this message. I'm not going to look at it, Lord, you know, because football's not eternal. You know what I'm saying? Football's not eternal. Now, brother, that's only we say that when we lose. You know what I'm saying? Because when we win, it's important. It's important. But when we lose, it's not eternal. We always bring that word. But there's diversity of relationships whenever we get together as family or friends or co-workers or even a stranger. But God has called us to relationships. He's called us to bring gatherings together so that we can interact in relationships. And so that's why when Paul is saying not just supplications of, of material things, but, but prayers of relational things. Praying for people in relationships they have and relationships they need. And then he says intercessions. Now intercession is where we stand in, in the gap. That means someone's over here that we care about, we're over here, and we're asking God, God, supply my needs, and, and, and God, help me in relationships. And then we look over, and, our, and, 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 and someone catches our eye, and we know they really have a spiritual need. We step away from our own praying about our own things, and we stand in here, and we say, now, Lord, help my brother, help my sister. Help them to know you, Lord. Help them to know you. Whatever it is spiritually in their life. And that's what Paul's saying. We've got to intercede. We intercede when we step in between people and situations going on in their life. Jesus, in Mark chapter 14, he asked the disciples to intercede for himself. We're thinking, now, why would Jesus need anyone to pray for himself? Because, yes, he was divine, but, yes, he was human. Amen. The humanity of him didn't falter, didn't sin, didn't fail, but the humanity of him cried out when he came to his disciples in that garden that day and said, Watch and pray. I'm struggling. The humanity in me is struggling. He didn't say that verbally, but that's what was going on. He knew the Father's mission for his life. He knew the direction he was moving in his life. He was confident he was going to do that. But at the same time, the humanity within him was struggling with what was in front of him. And he asked the disciples, watch and pray. Remember what he said? The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, sometimes... Church, let's be honest, sometimes we're the one over here needing someone to step between us in a situation and pray. I don't care if you're the pastor or the worship leader or a staff member or faithful congregational member or whoever you might be. There are times when you and I are over here and we're just in a place where we really can't go before the Lord. We can always go before the Lord. We have access through Christ. We have the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit. But sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we're just so spiritually struggling or, or emotionally, relationally struggling we need someone to step up and step in on our behalf. 
I'm grateful that right now as I'm preaching, it's just not on my praying. My wife is praying. My mother-in-law is praying. Pastor Brooks, after that first session, he's praying. I'm just telling you. Help him, Lord. Help him. People are praying, not for my success, but for the success of the Word of God in the gospel. Sake. That's what they're praying for, for you to hear a word from God. You see, he says we, 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 we pray for people's personal needs. We pray for people's relational needs. We, we stand in the gap for those who need someone to encourage them through a tough time. And then we wrap it all together with a grateful heart, the giving of thanks made for all men. That all men is a John three sixteen all. Whosoever, all. That's what Paul is including here. Not just men, though it's addressed to men, addressed to Timothy. It's everyone, all humanity. For kings and all who are in authority. It's interesting here because the Christians of the day in the first century, when, when Paul is telling Timothy to pray for all, and he's including the kings and he's including the authorities, you know what? The kings were not for Christianity. The authorities were not for Christianity. These were not their fans. And he said, pray for them as well. I tell people, and Adam, you know how this is. It's hard to pray for someone when your heart's not thankful for that person. It's tough. One of the roles I play with Georgia Baptist Mission Board is in the area of conflict management and conflict mediation. It's hard to, when people can't pray for one another because there's conflict in their life and, and to try to get them to a place where they're now thankful for someone they are in disagreement with. It's challenging. But he's saying pray for all of these people. And he names especially the kings, especially the authorities, especially those individuals who you're in a relationship with and you may gather with and you're in disagreement with. Pray that you find some means of thankfulness for that individual. As a believer, it should be easy for us to some degree, but it still can be challenging. We should seek that element of thanksgiving in our heart. We should develop that attitude of gratefulness when it comes to those things. I remember when we were over at my grandfather's house, oftentimes over the holidays, gathering as it was, there was always food, and man, you could smell the food, and all these things always cooking in the kitchen and different things, and, and I remember they taught us a little prayer as a kid, and you, you may remember this, some of you certainly wouldn't remember this because you're too young, but, but it's, God is good, God is great, let us thank him for the food, by his hands we shall be fed, give us Lord our daily bread, amen. A very simplistic prayer. But that very little simplistic prayer began to store up in my heart as a child, and even though I didn't know anything of the Lord, didn't go to church until I came to know the Lord as I was 20 years old, that was all in there running. It was all in there running in my memory, in my thoughts. So now when I think about food and I think about gatherings, I think about things and I think about prayers and all those things, I think of those prayers that grandpa and grandma would lead us in. To have a thankful heart regardless of what was going on in our personal lives, relational lives, our spiritual lives that we were thankful. It's important to be thankful. That sets the tone for prayer when we come to the Lord and thanksgiving in our heart. And I tell you, I love what you said about the advent candle of peace because when there's peace in our heart, it's much easier to go before the Lord with thanksgiving in our heart. When there's turmoil and unrestlessness or whatever unsettledness in our lives, it's, it's difficult. That's why we look to the King, the Prince of Peace, to bring peace in our lives to help us have that thankful heart so as we look at this passage, as Paul is telling Timothy, and, and I think it's speaking to me, and I hope it's encouraging you, in the sense that the first element of this gathering is that we, we have our focus on praying for one another, sharing with one another. It's important that we do that. The next part we find in verse 3, verse 4, 
says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. God likes when we're living lives that are quiet and peaceable. He likes when we're living our life full of godliness and reverence. That's what He wants of our lives. He loves us unconditionally, but that's what He desires for our life. That's the abundant type of life He's looking for us to experience through Jesus Christ. And when we're there, it makes it easier for her to do this second element of this gathering, and it is to share the good news. Who desire all men, that John 3.16, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, Luke 19 tells us that Jesus' whole purpose, his whole mission was certainly to glorify the Father, but the other thing was to bring salvation to us, to seek and to save that which is lost. You ever been lost and suddenly found? Man, you're relieved. Wow, I was in trouble. Couldn't get myself out of the trouble. And someone came to me and got me out of the trouble. You understand that kind of principle. It's interesting here, those kind of common things that happen in our life can relate to the very things that we need spiritually in our life. We need to be saved. That's what it means, the knowledge of the truth. It means a personal relationship with Jesus, of understanding that God sent him into the world, that he might grow up and be the Savior of all mankind. And, and through that having death, burial, and resurrection, over all things, we could come to Him, receive salvation in Him by His grace and forgiveness, have a relationship with the Father, and carry on. So this first base that I want to give you guys to set everything on is that we gather for a purpose. The purpose is to encourage you to pray and to share the good news of Jesus. Now, I want to give you a few mechanical parts of this thing, as maybe Brooks used to say, put handles on it. I don't know if I put the same great handles that he does. He does a fabulous job with the scriptures with that. But I want to share some things with you. One is, first of all, why do we share this gospel? Now, we know we're supposed to share biblically. It's a mandate. But why do I really share? You know what motivates me to share? It is compassion for those who don't know Jesus. Because there was a time for 20 years of my life I lived without Jesus. I knew what living without Jesus was like in my life. I had some good times, some bad times, but overall, there was a deep missing in my life because I didn't have Christ. And as a result, sometimes I was spiritually blind to the things that I needed. Now, I don't know if you guys wear glasses or contacts or you've had the surgeries or some of you may even have some sight impairments, but, but if you've never known a blind person or you've never lost your sight, sometimes it's hard to understand. We're talking about spiritual blindness, what blindness does to us. I shared in the first service that I was a kid growing up in the foothills of the Carolinas. Now, you played football or you played basketball or you played baseball. Well, I was even smaller than now, if you can imagine that, and I was a tiny little guy growing up, so football was not my sport. Hey, let's try baseball. Hand-eye coordination. Baseball was not my sport. So you know what that meant? Basketball, here I come. So I was in the fifth grade, going to try out for the basketball team. Now, I could dribble the basketball. I just could not move with the basketball. That's a problem. You've got to move with the basketball. Then I felt like I could shoot pretty good. So a young lady who lived next to us, it's funny, on one side of my house was a friend named Byron. Byron in the fifth, sixth grade was over six foot. Byron was in a different world when it came to basketball. Could not achieve that. On the other side was a young lady named Kim Basinger. Not the actress, the athlete. Kim lived next to me, and, and Kim every day was outside. Doom, 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 whoosh. Doom, 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 whoosh. Doom, doom, doom. Never missed a shot. Went to the University of Texas, All-American. Coached at Houston University. Uh, now he's, she's a big lawyer and all this stuff. So she had this fabulous basketball career. So I remember going, I said... Can you, can you teach me how to shoot? She said, yeah, yeah, we can do that. So she was teaching me how to shoot free throws. 
She said, because what you got to tell the people right off the bat is you cannot dribble, but you can shoot three throws. Let them know your strength in the game. I said, all right, all right. So I got, so the day I was supposed to go try out for the basketball team, I was ready with my free throw shooting. That morning, I got into a little dust up with my buddies in the area. We were throwing rocks and dirt clods and all this stuff, goofing off, and I got hit right in the left eye. Boom. I told him it's just like the cartoons, if you remember growing up. It was small, went whoop, and that was exactly what I saw. And then I literally, as Jesus is my witness, saw the stars. And then I went out. It was just, knocked me cold. Well, they drug me back to the house. They took me to the doctor and cleaned up my eye, and I had this big patch. Have you ever tried to shoot a threefold with one eye closed? For some reason, my perfect three throws were going to the right, to the right, to the right. <laughs> Needless to say, I went into wrestling. But anyway, so uh, <clears throat> we left the, the ball, sticking ball sports. I say that it was interesting. That temporary inability to see radically hindered me. When people are spiritually blind, they don't even always know that they're blind. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us the God of this world, he puts things in our sight spiritually so we can't see Jesus. He does it through social media. He does it through the internet. He does it through t- media. He does it through so many things. He does it through people. And heaven forbid, he sometimes even does it through a church to close people's eyes spiritually from Jesus. He'll do anything and everything he can to, to blind people from seeing Jesus. The other thing is, I'm drawn with compassion towards people without Jesus because they have no hope. Now, they may be successful, they may be intelligent, they may be financially secure, but, but without Jesus, there's no eternal hope for what's coming or what may happen in life. Life is devastating at times, and apart from having some eternal hope, there's no answer. I just had, uh, in the last five weeks, go to the funerals of two great men in my life. And you would think you'd kind of pass some of these things weeks later, but it's just one man led me to Jesus and discipled me. Another man was, was my best friend for years, and, and he, he helped me in another way, disciple me. And we were able to have conversations, and he came to Christ, and a lot of things. And, our, and, and, and I was just with his, his son over, uh, yesterday, his, uh, and, and, and I tell people it's one of those things where without eternal hope, when that moment comes into life, when someone's life is no longer, there's nothing out there but Jesus. But if Jesus is out there, it's everything. It changes our perspective. It gives us encouragement and hope. And that's why, again, we share because we want that hope to be there. Ephesians 2 talks about that living hope. A third thing here, and this is kind of a check, it's kind of a hard note here, but the hard note here is this, not only are we spiritually blind without Jesus, we, we're without eternal hope without Jesus, but we're subject to the judgment of God. This is a hard verse, but I've got good news coming. He who believes in the Son of God, the life he has, it says, he who, has, who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life, and who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him, John three thirty six. The wrath of God because God is holy without sin and cannot entertain being in an area where sin exists and it's not who he is. It can't be a part of his his context or or makeup. But here's the good news. Before John 3.36 is John 3.16. So if you put the judgment of God out there, what stands between us and the judgment of God is John 3.16 and that's all Jesus. That's all we need. That's amazing. God so loved us, he sent his son, that if we believe in him, have everlasting life. We don't even have to be concerned with the judgment for ourselves because Jesus has stepped in front of that 
as we have received Him as Savior and Lord. But we need to look at those who haven't had that experience. And then we share because someone shared with us. My grandpa prayed for me. He didn't do a lot of sharing with me in one sense. But then Luther Price, the pastor who just passed a few weeks ago, shared the gospel clearly with me. And then all that I saw that I need to be as a person through my grandfather who loved Jesus and looked like Jesus, I found the way to that through the gospel that Luther Price had shared with me. My life was transformed 41 years ago. Radically changed my life forever. The direction, the purpose, people, everything. So, so in these gathering points, we gather to pray and encourage. We gather to share the gospel. We do it because there's so many needs in their life. But the other thing we need to understand is we've got to go back to that element of prayer and constantly being prayer for those who need Jesus. We pray for those people's hearts. Uh, I love in Luke chapter 8, it's got the story, the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower, we know it says that it talks about a sower went out and he sold his seed. Now, the seed is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is perfect because Jesus is perfect. That's good news. The concerning news is the gospel is seeded into ground that's imperfect. Ground is always imperfect. Here in this parable in Luke chapter 8, it talks about the the seed. Some fell among the wayside where people walked and trampled it down. It was packed so hard the gospel would not penetrate it. Not that it wasn't capable, but that ground was not receptive. You see, we have to receive Christ. He doesn't force himself into our life. It's an element of, 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 of us receiving His grace according to His sovereign purpose in our lives. We receive those things. Wayside won't receive it. Rocks won't receive it. There's so many rocks, it doesn't allow the seed to get in to really ground itself and grow. And then He says thorns. Not only that, but thorns can be so thick that it doesn't allow the seed to ground itself and grow. But then in the parable of Luke 8, it says there's good ground. And good ground may yield a hundredfold. That means for everyone who receives Christ, there's going to be this multiplication occur. Now, I'm not the greatest anything, and I'm okay with that. God loves me. My wife loves me. God has blessed me. I'm good with that. But I'm told that just because I have a relationship with Christ and I'm willing to share that gospel, that there's going to be multiplication out of my life. Fruits are going to come out of my life. Ministry is going to happen. That's the good news about all those things. And here we need to know that we need to sometimes till the ground. We need to break up fallow ground. My heart was fallow, but my grandfather's prayers through all of those years kept breaking up and breaking up and breaking up that hard heart of mine. I'm I'm convinced of that. So that when Luther Price, that pastor, preached the gospel out of Romans that time to me and shared the gospel with me, my heart was receptive. Other times in my life, I was the wayside. Other times in my life, I was the rocky soil. Other times in my life, I was the thorny ground. I heard parts of the gospel had no desire for the gospel. But when that ground began to be broken up through the the years of prayer and other places where God had spoken into my life through people, my heart suddenly, the ground suddenly was receptive to the seed of the gospel. And it's important. Now, I'll share this again. I wasn't going to share it, 
I had a conversation this morning, and this is kind of how I preach, and this is probably why I don't, I don't get invited back all the time. But anyway, so, but, but it's just how I, I want to share stories so that you remember not my story, but what the story was talking about in the scriptures, okay? And so I, I was talking with a gentleman who's at first service from Texas. I went to seminary in Texas. We talked about all kinds of things, Texas. He shared with me how, I shared with him how the, the, the greatest scare I ever had in Texas was when I was working in a long company, a long business I had, and I was doing some irrigation work, and I, I was pulling this pipe through this hole in this area of this, this, uh, this old estate we're working on, and I could feel something coming up my, my hand. I thought, well, that's weird. Is it water? So I pulled my hand out, and for the first time in my entire life, I saw a live tarantula on my hand this big, and I screamed like the biggest little girl you've ever heard in your life. Sorry, ladies, I know we always say that, but I mean, I squealed, screamed, jumped, flung that thing, running through the thing. <clears throat> and another guy who worked for me just looked from afar like, Brother Marty, what's wrong? It's a little, I couldn't even get the word tarantula out. Long story short, he said, oh, listen, the brother this morning who was here in service said, oh, I grew up in Texas. You know what we would do? At a certain time of the summer, we'd stick a garden hose into the hose where the tarantulas were. We'd fill it up with water and hundreds would come out and we'd kick them like soccer balls. People in Texas are crazy. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, Texans. But I'm just telling you, man, you, you get a little more courage than we do here in the South. I'm just, that was, woo. So, but that took me back to the story with Daphne. When I came home, and it, I don't think it wasn't that day, but I came home from working my, my lawn service while I was in seminary and all this, just very, I, I never wanted to see any more lawn work when I got home. And I got there and she was digging holes in the front of our trailer that we lived in on seminary housing. And so she's digging all these holes and I came out and I just didn't want any part of it. I didn't want her to have a part of it. And I was not a very godly, sweet husband at the point. I said, hey, what are you doing? She goes, what do you mean, what are you doing? I'm digging holes and going to plant these plants. Do you know that you got to do da 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 And you know how it is, men, when we start telling our women why they shouldn't do something. And we should know better because they're going to do it anyway. But anyway, so, but I gave her all these reasons why not to, and they were all my reasons because I didn't want to. I wasn't, I wasn't doing good. My wife, I guess it was just a couple years being married, and it was the years we've been at seminary, and life has been a little tough. <laughs> I think is the proverbial straw broke the camel's back. If you know my wife, sweet Daphne, she's sweet, loves Jesus, the most compassionate person in the world. She had a, a pickaxe. She was digging through this old horror shell stuff. She goes, face to face, don't limit me. When I turned to look and see if my buddy Don was having my back, Don was nowhere to be in sight. He was gone. He had left the building. I later found out, he said, Marty, I thought she was going to hit you with that pickaxe. And to be honest, I like Daphne better than you, and I didn't want her to testify in court. That's just it. <laughs> so I knew where he stood. But anyway, I learned a good lesson there. learned a really good lesson there. Not to be foolish when your wife has a pickaxe, but beyond that, it's interesting. But I say that because what I remember was that soil that she was digging up and picking up and digging up, she'd been working all day, was to break through this hard part of the crusty part of that part of Texas soil that we lived in Fort Worth, Dallas, which is great for oil and natural gas. It's horrible for planting. You see, all of us have different kinds of soil. All of us need our hearts to be broken up so the gospel can come in and seed itself and grow us into what Christ wants us to be. The great hope is that God has prepared all of you as gardeners. All of you have special skills. You have special relationships God-given talents to break up fallow ground in people's lives. And it may be only you that can do that. 
And that's the difference. That's why we gather with a purpose. We, we gather to pray, encourage. We gather to share the gospel. We do what it takes to make sure that when we're sharing, that we're doing that cultivating of that ground so that it would receive the gospel. So as you're out sharing over these holidays and at work and at school or at the soccer game or wherever you are and having relationships and spending time with people, make sure that as you see believers gathering, that you pray for one another's boldness to share the gospel. We pray for one another's opportunities to go share the gospel. And you pray for clarity as people share the gospel. You see, it's great to have conversations, but it's most important to talk about Jesus. At the end of the day, whatever conversations happen, hopefully it settles back in to the gospel, the good news, that God loves us with an everlasting love, full of mercy and grace, has sent us Jesus to stand in front of judgment because he loves us, to bring us into a relationship that transforms our life. You see, you're going to have so many opportunities over these season of holidays that's in front of us. You've already had some just recently. Take those gatherings as opportunities to pray and encourage and share the gospel. Father, thank you for your love and goodness and grace. Thank you for your grace in my life, the times when I've been so foolish with my words and actions and behaviors. But Lord, in all of that, God, your sovereign love and grace reigns because we do try to submit ourselves to you and to to the sake of the gospel. So Father, I pray that as we come to this time, that there's decisions that need to be made in our hearts that we would look, think about, uh, first of all, relationship with you through Jesus. That's where it begins. God, we think about living our lives obediently through your word and Holy Spirit. And God, as, as Adam had already said, these connect cards are places for us to, to share that going on in our lives with the staff so they can pray and encourage uh, or have conversation. So Father, just thank you again for your love and grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit in this church as an opportunity to be encouraged as I was encouraged and challenged in another one of your churches last Sunday. So Lord, bless this time we pray in Jesus' name.